today, before I read the passage, just to remind you, well, remind you for some people that have been here, but uh, for the rest of you that are new, we've been going through uh, the work of the work of the Trinity in establishing the Church at uh, Pentecost, actually at the Ascension and Pentecost, looking at primarily in the last few weeks the Ascension, where Jesus talks about the purpose of sending the Spirit on Pentecost, and then. Uh, today we're going to actually read a bit of the, of the uh, portion of Acts where the Spirit uh, invades the church. This is the beginning of the church, uh, triumphant. It's the, it's the beginning of the establishment of what we call the church, although the church of God, as we know, has been the, the people of God, the uh, believers of God, in God throughout all the ages, who are now enveloped into this great work uh, through the work of Jesus Christ. So let's stand together as we hear... Uh, God's Word. This will be from Acts 1, 6-11, and then from Acts 2, 1-7. Hear the Word of the Lord. So when they had come together, they asked Him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished. Here ends the reading of God's word. Please be seated. So the the first sermon in the series, as we unpack Acts one, uh, by the way, Jesus, we notice there, talks about the Father, Himself, and the Spirit. I, I always have to smile when people say, uh, there is no mention of the Trinity uh, in the Bible. Well, of course, the word Trinity itself is not mentioned. It's just a word that has been used to summarize the, the Godhead of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right here is one of the many places where we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit mentioned. And they're mentioned with equal authority and equal glory. But there's a subservience in there. There's a a progression. There's a plan. The Father glorifies the Son. The Son carries out the work of the Father. The the Holy Spirit glorifies them both and makes it possible for the Father's plan to be realized. And that's what we've got in the first week, was that this is the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Trinity begins with the Father's plan. The second week was it was the Son's purpose... And now it's the Spirit's power. The Father's purpose was mentioned uh, 
by Jesus in his answer to the disciples where they came to him and said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And of course they had an understanding that what the kingdom was, that was to be a, a, a nation that competed with the other nations of the world, that actually overcame the other nations of the world. They would be themselves, the, the nation of glory that they once were, where God dwelt in their midst. And that was what they were looking for. So they had this kind of limited view that the Messiah was to come and restore them to, to um, their former glory by overcoming the Roman Empire and all the other empires that had, had uh, taken them, them captive or dominated them for so many years. And they would have the land again. And so they asked me, at this time, Lord, is it at this time you were to do this? And his answer was instructive because he actually quotes from Isaiah 49, verse 6. And what he quotes from is this. The Lord says, It is too small a thing to, for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I've kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. He's quoting from there and from another part of Isaiah where it is, God says, you will be my witnesses to Israel. And then he says to the Messiah, his greater son, or David's greater son, uh, the son of God, you will be my witness. And so when Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, he is saying to the people of God, or the disciples who will be the people of God, is that it is too small a thing for them to, to have such a narrow view of what God's plan is. God's plan has never been just for Israel. It's always been for the restoration of the world. It's been to bring his light back to the nations and to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So today we're, we're, we're looking at the fulfillment of Christ's promise that he would be the one to fulfill the Father's plan. He's going to do it by means of the Holy Spirit. So when he says you will receive power, it's power to do what? Well, it's power for two things. One is for power, a power for Christ to be a light to the nations. And second is a power for Christ to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. It's never been about us. It's always been about the Trinity. It's ultimately for us about Christ. Because as we bring honor to Christ and obey Him, we bring honor to the Father. Remember the, the, the there's only what three places, four places in the New Testament where we hear God speak. In fact, the only time we ever anybody hears God speak clearly, because even in the Old Testament, when they heard God, it was either just the the um, the prophets heard him, or if the people heard from Sinai, they just heard a horrible sound they couldn't understand. But at Jesus' baptism, um, and then at uh, the transfiguration, we hear God speak, and and one of the things he says, "This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him." His words to us were to listen to Christ, to honor Christ, to obey Him, because what Christ was going to do was carry out the work of the Father. Jesus says, I do not speak on my own authority, I only speak of what God is, the Father has given me. He said, the work I do, I do the, is the Father's work. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So as we carry out the work of Christ, we are joining with Him in revealing the Father to the world. So what the Holy Spirit does is what the Spirit's always done, is make it possible for God to dwell among His people and, and make it possible for God's Word to go out to the ends of the earth. So first of all, the power for Christ to be a light to the nations. So there's actually two things going on on the day of Pentecost. This is just a high-level view. 
we could talk forever, um, and I could actually talk forever about the uh, about any of these passages. Um, I was really encouraged by um, Mark's uh, uh, words here in the introduction of the song about, about it's just the name of Jesus and the power in the name of Jesus. There's so much going on here in this passage about the, the, the power of Christ as he comes into the church through the Holy Spirit. But the high-level view, we're not talking about high-level like meaning it's better than anything else. It's just more of the we're going to try and get up as high as we can and kind of survey the landscape from Genesis to Acts, okay, or <laughs> Genesis to Revelation. But we're going to begin with the idea of, well, there's two things going on. One is the reverse of the curse of Genesis 3, where men and women were kicked out of God's presence. And that is the, the first part. The second part is the reverse of the curse of languages of the Tower of Babel, when, when mankind had multiple languages and were scattered. You could probably even see that right now, or as we read that, both of those things are, are, are being overcome on the day of Pentecost. So the, the first one um, is the very verse of the curse of Genesis 3, where God no longer lives among his people. By the way, the Holy Spirit was there um, at that time. I don't know if you know this. this the Holy Spirit um, was the, the, what made it possible for God to create, for the Son to do his work of creation on the back on behalf of the Father. Not here in your list in your passages, but in Genesis 1-2, it says, The Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. Remember? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. That, for the Israelites, evoked what, would, what, what they had seen at Mount Sinai. The Spirit of God in the Old Testament was the dwelling place of God. They knew the Spirit in, in about two different ways. One is kind of the general power of God, and the other was the dwelling place of God. Um, in, this is not in your passage either, but Nehemiah 9.20 uh, looks back on the uh, Exodus journey, and he talks about the, the pillar of cloud that led them by day and the pillar of fire that led them by night that God put in his presence. He called, them, or co- he called it the angel of his presence. But then he said something. He says, you put your Holy Spirit within them and taught them. And what he was talking about was Mount Sinai. The Spirit of God came down, the dwelling place of God came down, and from that dwelling place... God gave his law. He gave his word. He taught them everything he wanted them to know about himself and worship of himself. And as we see in there, the, their need for a savior, their, their guilt before him, but also the need for a savior. What they didn't understand was that the spirit was really a person, the third person of the Trinity. That was something that even the disciples did not understand until the Holy Spirit came down. That's only possible to understand by the work of the Holy Spirit. So in the fullness of time, when Christ had come, when Christ reveals all for the, for the Father, we understand there's even greater work of the Holy Spirit. And that is, again, to, to restore what was lost in Eden. So we know the story of Adam and Eve sin. God re- removes them from the, the Garden of Eden. In Genesis 3.24 it says, He drove out the man at the east of the Garden of Eden. He placed the cherubim and a flaming sword. It's a reminder that the, with the cherubim there, we're reminded cherubs. Cherubim is an interesting word. It's uh, we we think of cherubs as a uh, as just that little uh, fat little uh, angel with little stubby wings and with a little bow and arrow. You know, just a just a wonderful creature. No, the cherub uh, were the uh, cherubs. Cherubim is plural uh, for cherub. It was he would. They were the warrior angels, and they were the ones that brought God judgment. Uh, on people or on the earth. 
and it was they were put there to, to remind mankind that they were under God's judgment and were not deserving of being in his presence. That flaming sword, the light of God, was no longer to be seen directly by people. Adam and Eve saw God in all his glory, in all his brightness, in all his, 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 his uh, the glory of, uh, as reflected in creation. They only saw the brightness of God's wrath in the sword. And when we come to Pentecost, we're finding that to be reversed. Oh, by the way, I should point this out. Um, back to Exodus 19 and 20, where we see God's Spirit come down, the people see it again in a frightful way. But it's a mixture. There's good news and bad news within that. But, but from what they see on the outside is bad news. What they hear from the inside when Moses goes and penetrates into this great darkness is going to be good news. The, the good news that God is going to dwell among his people. Look at Exodus 19 and, and 20. I've got a few verses in your outline. The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and read, be ready for the third day. This is where they've come, by the way, into the wilderness. Uh, uh, they've come before to, to the mountain of Sinai where God has called them to worship him. And this is where he speaks to Moses. And he says, for that on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And when all the people, this is now uh, chapter 20, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. The presence of God was in their midst and it was a terrifying thing. And it was always a reminder that, that God was in their presence but it was always a danger to meet God directly. They couldn't do that. When they went into the tabernacle, there was the Holy of Holies that only God's consecrated priests could go through. When they went into the, the, the temple in Jerusalem, it was the same way. And do you remember though, when, when God filled the taber came to the tabernacle, or met with Moses in the wilderness, and he came to the temple when it was consecrated? What came? This great cloud, right? The glory cloud of God came down and filled the temple. It was the very presence of God. But it was only a temporary filling of, of the temple, the dwelling place of God. Well, what we have in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, is the reverse of the curse of Genesis 3 and the completion of the promise that God made in Exodus 19 that they would be his people and he would be their God. And so we see these same phenomena no longer on a mountain, no longer uh, the mountain on fire and and lightning and flames and, and thunder, but we have the same phenomena in the upper room with the disciples. Not just the twelve, but there were two hundred of the disciples there. In Acts 2, uh, 2, it said, Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them. The fire, the sound, the the um, the, 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 the kind of the smokiness of the, of the place always present in there. And what it signified was that God had come to earth again and to dwell permanently in his people, only because of the finished work of Christ. And we see that, by the way, this is the work of the Spirit, Ephesians chapter 2, 22. It says, In him you are also being built together into a dwelling of place by God for the Spirit. So the, the, the flame, the, the flame signified 
couple of things, but one of the things the flame signified was the light of God now being among his people. Christ was living his people. Christ, the light of the world, who was to be the promised light to the Gentiles, is now doing so in his church. So again, the purpose of God is always to glorify Christ and for the Son to bring people to him, to be that light to the world. I'm actually getting ahead of myself. The first part was to be a light to the Gentiles. The light is in, in creation, as we see around us. The glory of God reflected. It's reflected in Christ, but it's also in his church. So he gives us power through the Holy Spirit to change, to be his people. We're no longer what we were. The only thing that can, can uh, explain what has happened to people when they are uh, saved by the Spirit of God um, is that the Holy Spirit has invaded. We, we know we were dead in our sins. We were, we were without hope in the world. But all of a sudden, we're a people that praise God and, and we can confess our sins. We no longer run from our sins and run from God. As Adam and Eve, well, they had to run, but, but pretty much everybody else had, had run from, from God. It was just a terrifying thing. But we no longer do that. We, we consciously seek Him out. We're no longer afraid of our, our weaknesses. We're afraid of our failures. We're, we're changed people. It can only be It can only be explained by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's what this, this signifies. We are being built together in the dwelling place for God to live by the Spirit. And when God dwells, there's His light, and, and this is the light of Christ that's in view. So first of all, Christ must be a light to the nations. So the Holy Spirit gives us power for Christ to be a light to the nations. But kind of expounding on that, is now the power for Christ to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And now we're going to look at the reverse of the curse of Babel. So, so it's it's the reverse of of the of the curse of being cast from God's presence. But there was a, a kind of an expansion of that. There there was a time in the uh, early life of the world where everybody kind of spoke one nation or one one. They were kind of one nation. They spoke the same same language. And there came a time, if you know the story, I don't have it printed out here, I just didn't have room. Well, there were, they decided to build a name for themselves. They wanted to have uh, security. They wanted to have a, 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 a nation that was unified. And so they used the technology of their day and they built what's called a ziggurat. It was a, a tower in, in here, but it's really a ziggurat. Um, here in South Orange County, is that thing still standing? Monstrosity is still standing? The, the ziggurat? Yeah, all right. That's what a ziggurat was. It was a step-sided building. But actually, it wasn't just a building. It was usually a mound. They would either take a, and, and build up a mound or take a small hill. And then they would build, they would take clay bricks and, and mortar, and they would build stones and, and, and steps up to the top. And up at the top was basically a landing pad. And the whole idea, it was a, it was a, a gateway for the gods to come and bless them on earth. And their whole idea was, if we can build up high enough, we're going to reach into heaven, the very place of God. We're going to bring him down to us so he will come down and bless our crops. Now, the God that they thought they were worshiping was probably Marduk. In fact, there was a ziggurat discovered in, many ziggurats discovered in the early 19th, uh, 20th century, in the 1900s. One particularly near Babylon is called the, the ziggurat of Marduk. And that's the one that most people, scholars believe, uh, is the ziggurat or the tower in Babel. And it's right around the area of Babylon. Uh, and um, uh, Marduk, by the way, 
was Babylon's version of Baal or Baal. Baal in the land of Canaan, uh, Marduk in um, in Babylon, uh, Zeus in Greek mythology, it, it, the god of thunder, the god of the storm, uh, the same god. Their idea was they were going to bring him up. They're going to go into his cloud. They felt that they believed that he he rode in the clouds. He lived in the clouds. He he came with with lightning and, and thunder and and the storm winds. And they were going to go up and bring him down. So God pays them. <laughs> the true God pays them a visit. And he says in Genesis uh, 11 to 7, uh, 11 to 7 and 9 following, uh, prior to that, says he, he, went, he, he said, let us go down and see what they're doing. Now, isn't that God doesn't know what they're doing? This is the way God works. He works justice according to knowledge. It was, he was putting them on trial. He was coming to visit them to show them that he knew what they were doing. He wasn't going to judge from a distance. He was going to judge in person. Just as he judges the world in person through the person of his son. Another story. Second, go forever on this stuff. But in this case, he says, Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from all over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, which means confused, by the way, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. Now, this didn't necessarily take place just at one time. We actually see from, from uh, archaeology and history that this, all these ziggurats, but primarily this one, were torn down and rebuilt multiple times. Um, God's purpose was never to allow mankind to build a single monument to themselves or a single nation where they could all be unified. And God allowed strife. He allowed the God of this world, the, 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 the Satan, to work his work in dividing mankind. And in doing that, bringing war and pestilence and, 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 and um, anger amongst one another, this never lasted. Um, so that's kind of what I believe is what's happening here. And it could, don't get me wrong, it could be a miracle of confusion of languages at that time as well. But regardless, this is what happened. God spread them out. It was his purpose to disperse them to the, to the ends of the earth, virtually, so they could not be together, could not have a single mindset, which is what mankind's goal has been all along, right? All these nations of, that have risen up, um, uh, Rome and Greece and, and all the others uh, prior to that, Babylon, their whole idea was to conquer the whole earth and bring it under, under one roof, roof, one rule. And God said, no, it's not their time. It, there would be a time. And that time is Pentecost. This is where it's reversed. This is where God does come down. If you notice in, um, we read in, in Exodus 19, um, we read before about the glory cloud coming down, it said, God said, I will come down. There was it's always a promise of God will come down. It's, it was judgment for the Babylonians. It was kind of mixed for the Israelites. But in Pentecost, the promise of God coming down is realized. Eden has been reversed, but also these languages have been reversed. The curse of languages, the curse of dispersion. What did God do? An amazing thing. He brought people from every tribe and, and language, every known language, there into Jerusalem. How did he do it? He did it through the dispersion of Israel in, in their punishment 
for, for disobeying him and, and turning away from him and, and worshiping Baal and the false other false gods throughout the years. By the way, just a quick aside, I was reading the other day in an old archaeological journal, there was a, an inscription found on a, piece, a temple piece from a temple that was um, in, in one of the neighboring lands. I can't remember the name of it. It was just adjacent to Israel. Um, but in it was an inscription to Baal. It was the modern, the, the modern day, or in Jesus' time, um, um, temple. And it was inscription to a worship of Baal. He was still being worshipped. The false gods were being worshipped in, in that day. So when God comes down, He comes down in all His glory. It's coming down in judgment to the world, but in grace to the world as well. In judgment to the false gods of this world, and in announcement that the true God has come in the person of Jesus Christ. And what happens? He brings all these people together, and the, the, the people that had been dispersed um, by God's judgment of the nation of Israel, they go to the, all different ends of the earth, and they come back for this great festival, and what happens? is they hear the good news of Jesus Christ being proclaimed in the languages as God in his miracle, why I tend to believe still it was a miracle of tongues, in, of, of dispersion of tongues in, um, in Genesis 11. He reverses that with a miracle of tongues in, in, in allowing people, these, these, these poor um, Galileans and, and from other parts of Israel to be able to speak a language they had never spoken before. They never, they probably heard it, but couldn't speak it. Now they're speaking it. And people are hearing the good news of Jesus Christ in their language. It's The curse has been reversed. The dispersion had been brought back, but now brought back for a purpose, to be dispersed again to the uttermost part of the earth, yet with a unified person, a unified message, a unified word, a unified um, a message of, of this Jesus Christ, the good news of Christ and his salvation that will be translated into every tongue and, and for every tribe and nation. And, and so what he's doing is he's putting that in the church, that task of Jesus Christ being a light to the nations and to bring his word to the end of the world is being put in the church. So the purpose of the Spirit, back to this, is to enable us as God's people to be that light, to be that witness, the light of Christ in us and the witness to the world. So it's... We, we say, it's, Jesus says, you will receive power. Power for what? Power for just boldness to speak? No, I believe it's much more than that. I believe it's power to understand the good news. Because the disciples truly didn't understand the good news until the Spirit came. It's the power of the Spirit to open hearts to understand and receive the good news. The people that believe in the day of Pentecost in the, in the days and weeks and years to follow, how did that happen? It's a miracle, again, of the Holy Spirit in changing hearts taking hearts of stone and turning them to hearts of flesh so that they could receive and understand the Word of God. It's the power of the Spirit to live, for us to live the good news. Romans 1, um, 16-17, Paul talks about the, the gospel, and he talks about it in such a way, not just of words, but in actions, in the way we live. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, in the power of the gospel, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. 
the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of God, is always meant to be from faith to faith. It's never just to be proclaimed by word. It's been proclaimed through the actions that change lives of people as well. We can't truly proclaim the glories of God and the greatness of God and the message of God unless we understand it, and that's by the power of the Spirit. And we can't proclaim it unless we live it, and that's also by the power of the Spirit. I'm going to close with Romans 8, 26-30, and hopefully you'll see it in a slightly different way than we might have seen before. At least I've seen it this week in a way that I've seen before. Tend to divorce the first part of this about the Spirit praying for us from the next part of it. But it tells us what the purpose of the Spirit praying for us is. And just to sum it up, it's so that the Spirit will pray for us in a way to fulfill God's purpose. It's not just for us. It's not just to give us boldness. It's not just to, to give us confidence or peace and uh, uh, a good life, uh, to, to get, have wisdom to live a good life. It's for God's purposes, whatever they are. That's the purpose of the Spirit. And the ultimate purpose of the Spirit, this goes back to the other sermons, but the purpose of God was always to bring glory to himself and to bring a people to himself. Sons and daughters who would be adopted into his family, who would be brothers and sisters of his one son, Jesus Christ, and to create a family for himself. Let's hear from Romans 8, 26-30. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, for your great plan. Um, it worked out in your Son, Jesus Christ, uh, who loved you and gave himself up for you, and who loved us and gave himself up for us. And we thank you that um, his purposes are now our purposes by the power of the Spirit. And we thank you that you've sent your Spirit on, on the request of Christ to live in us and enable us to live lives that are glorifying to you. Uh, yes, in all our sin and all our shortcomings, you are still glorified. People still see the light of Christ in us, or at least they should. So, Lord, we continue to ask that your Spirit would work in us, would still pray for us in words that we, we can't express because we don't even know uh, where our shortcomings are, where our failings are, or what we need to be fulfilling your purposes. But one thing we do know, Lord, as your purpose for us is the person of Christ. We pray that you would continue to enable us by the power of your Spirit, to serve your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord Jesus Christ, we praise you, we praise uh, your Spirit, and we praise your Father, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.